We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Prize Picks coming at you Sunday morning. We're doing it on Sunday morning. It's January 21st. And on today's show, we have the Wolves lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, last night to get to. I'm going to spend a good chunk of the episode talking about this Wolves Thunder matchup. I think Oklahoma City is the only team to beat the Wolves uh, twice thus far this season. So the the question kind of is, you know, how much was this the Wolves beating themselves uh, versus versus this being uh, a difficult matchup? Like most things, it's probably somewhere in the middle there. Uh, I have Britt Robson from Min Post here with me. Thanks for doing it on a Sunday morning, Britt. Sure. Sundays are fine. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, off the top, this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks Daily Fantasy. Britt, you're going to get in here to the the world of daily fantasy sports. Uh, if you're listening to this on on Sunday afternoon, uh, you might want to you know put something down for for this Sunday slate of games. I was looking at it very briefly this morning, and I just saw the kind of amplified odds of Josh Allen and and Patrick Mahomes. If you take Josh Allen to throw for over 275 yards and Patrick Mahomes to throw for over 300 yards, that together uh pays out i believe it was 11 to 1 i'll pull it up here there yeah so it's the amplified odds thing we've been telling you guys about where they where they boost the number but i think this is like all right i think the bills and chiefs is going to be a a shootout i'm just going to take the two stud quarterbacks to go off that happens you bet 20 bucks you win 220 but five bucks you win 55 11 to 1 i think it's a fun thing to do so, if you want to get in on the Sunday slate of games today, prizepicks.com or the Prize Picks app, uh, promo code Dane for a $100 sign up bonus. All right, Britt, the Wolves lose to the Thunder. Clearly, turnovers uh, are were, were the, the key issue here. I think there's actually some other, like, a little bit more matchup y type yeah, things to get into, but right. it really. Um, affirmed to us just it it was talking to Finch talking to players in the locker room afterwards every single person brought up turnovers multiple different times I, I want to talk about this I, I was thinking about this when I was walking home it's one it's rare to be this good of a team have this good of a record or just even be an above average team I was thinking about like the 2021-22 team 
the year before Gobert got there and to be the worst in the league at something. That just right. is uh, rare. But both of these teams have, have kind of, both of these Wolves teams did that. That 21-22 team uh, was the worst defensive rebounding team uh, in the league, yet they still won 46 games. were clearly an above-average team. They did a lot of other things well that fueled them. But ultimately in the playoffs, that thing doomed them. They lost to Memphis because of the defensive rebounding. Uh, this team is obviously on another level uh, than, than that 21-22 team, but they are uh, 28th in the league in, in turnovers thus far this season for the last six weeks or so. Um, they're dead last by a, a healthy margin there. Do you draw any parallels uh, there? Like, do you, do you think about those two things similarly at all, the, the rebounding issues from that year versus the turnovers? turnover issue this season? Well, the thing about the rebounding and the turnovers is the damage, the the ensuing damage they cause. You know, I mean, turnovers in and of themselves are not terrible if you're reducing the points off the turnovers that are happening. Um, there are different types of turnovers. A travel is worse, I mean, is better for your team than to get a steal yeah. on the perimeter of a pass that is much more likely to result in two or three points going the other way. Uh, you could say it's a point-off turnover. If you travel, they take the ball out of bounds and score. That is a points-off turnovers. Yeah. But it is very, very similar to a normal half-court defense. Which is not worth as much as a exactly. live ball turnover is going to probably run out to be two points. Yeah. Yeah, or three points in or some three, cases. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know uh, – I do think also that it seems so much more correctable than the defensive rebounding did. Because uh, it's not about the way the roster is constructed. Like that that 21-22 team was so small, right, that you're like, okay, yeah, they got beat up on the glass. And also it's just uh, what I did, uh, you know, and, and I think the – just the wealth of it, just the enormity of it. Uh, well, listeners will either think this is very interesting or they'll be bored to tears. But essentially, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I just charted all 21 turnovers that the Wolves okay. made last night. Okay. They made six in the first quarter, seven in the second quarter, one in the third quarter, and seven in the fourth quarter. Yep. Not surprisingly, they outscored the Thunder by like 20 points in the third quarter. Yeah. Because they didn't turn the ball over. But I just think this is interesting in terms of the fact that uh, the Thunder was not pressuring the Wolves that much. What they were doing was knowing what the Wolves' tendencies are and being there to have the Wolves shoot themselves in the foot all the mm -hmm. time. So, first quarter, first turnover, Conley lobbed. To go bear, they were all over it, intercepted the ball. Second one, Ant kicks it out of bounds on a dribble, just one of those clumsy plays. Third one in the first quarter, Cat drives into a crowd and loses the ball. Um, fourth one, Kate Conley, a lazy pass to Cat, just a little, you know, like one of those classic, not really in a post feed, not really a perimeter feed, just one of these interim feeds, but it was a little bit airy underneath it, and they – Thunder saw the ball and stole it. Uh, 
Fifth one, Rudy off offensive foul off a screen. Sixth one, Nas a bad pass down low to a driving in. So that's six turnovers in the first half. Many first of quarter. them. First, first quarter, quarter sorry. Yeah. And second quarter, Cat charges on a fast break. Nas loses the ball in transition. McDaniels travels on a fast break. So that's three straight turnovers in transition that were self-imposed. Um, then Nas uh, gets pickpocketed off his dribble by Jalen Williams. All right. So, you know, there there's a case of an active OKCD, you know, of being able to just get out there and do it. Um, I think those first nine before that all came within the first 15 minutes. I think it was nine yeah. nine turnovers in fifth, the first 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, probably like that. Okay, and then you have uh, Conley, another bad lob to Gobert. I mean, you know, Cat, uh, a slow feed to Gobert inside. It wasn't a lob, but it was a post feed that they were all over. They packed the paint. Um, Ant tries to split the defense with a dribble and loses it. So there's your 13 um Turnovers in the first half, which resulted, by the way, in 20 points for OKC. The only turnover in the third quarter by the Wolves was a Gobert screen for Ant on the perimeter. Which and arguably was kind of, wasn't. Yeah, exactly. remember that was, that was, was kind the of a questionable shot. call. Yeah. 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 So turnover free basketball. Suddenly, what do you know? The Wolves are just killing it. Um, fourth quarter, Nas double dribbles. Uh, that's that one where he, he kind of. They called it a travel, but it was because he had his two hands on the ball at one point. Yeah, as you call it, a Gorgie travel. Yeah, exactly. So, and then, um, let me see. Then the bogus travel call on Nas that everybody hated um, happened after that. Then Nas with a bad pass on the perimeter um, to Cat, uh, uh, who was, it was, it was slow. Ant dribbles into three people and, uh, a little pass to Rudy. Rudy didn't realize the pass was to him and just watched it sail by him. Ant dribbles into three again and loses the ball. McDaniels, a lazy entry pass to Cat. And the final one was Ant with a driving kick to Conley that was seen and stolen and led to a transition. So that's 21 um, turnovers that led to 28 points. For the three games, by the way, the Wolves had eight points off the Thunder's transition. So they were minus 20 on points in transition in a five-point loss. And here's something even crazier. If Mike Conley goes three for nine from three-point territory, that's an extra six points and perhaps they win the game. Yeah. Well, that's what just kind of sticks out listening to, to that. You go through that is the the frequency of Conley turnovers and the kind of how bad yeah, they he had, were. He had three turnovers and was one for 11 from the floor. It was yeah. just a really, really totally atypical game. But uh, I'll wrap this up here. In the three games they played against the Thunder, they have turned the ball over 65 times. Jeez. They have given up 72 points in those three games of points off turnovers. They have gotten 32 points in those three games. They are minus 40 in points off turnovers against the Thunder. And that tracks with the fact that the Thunder is first in the NBA in points off turnovers, 19.9. The Wolves are 19, 16. In terms of giving your opponent 
turnovers. The Wolves are 22nd, meaning they're way down the list. 21 teams are better at not giving up points off turnovers. OKC is 7th at 15. Net result in terms of turnover plus minus, OKC is plus 4.9. The Wolves are minus 1.5. That's six and a half points. Well, it, it's it's what brings Oklahoma City to Minnesota's level, like whether it be in an individual matchup or or for the the season. I mean, I want to in, in a little bit. I just kind of want to like go through the the whatever. Let's do it now. Like you think about the two rosters, right? And it's it's a talent advantage for the Wolves, right? They have they you right. know they they have more. If you if you go through it, right, like. And this is, you know, this is picking and choosing different ways to line it up. But if you go like SGA and Ant, right? You take SGA over Ant. That's right. an indictment of Ant. SGA is right. just in the MVP conversation. Right. Uh, Chet and Cat, you know, that's close, right? right. I think Cat has a greater, um, like, upside and ceiling of what he can do. Uh, Cat, Cat does? Oh, oh, you mean Cat. as of now? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. For his career. Yeah, well, I would just say, like, I mean, I, you could you could argue. We were talking about this last night. Like Chet and Cat are having similar caliber seasons. You know, n- neither of them I I think will make a an All Star team. But if you you know if you were making the case for both of them, I think they'd have similar cases uh, for this season. I think based on pedigree, like yeah, you could say that Cat greater than Chet. But overall, I'm just giving that like uh, it's close, right? Well, I mean, the, the the most succinct way I would put it is Cat has the better resume. Chet has the better future. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking it. about I'm talking yeah. about right now, right. That, like right. in, okay. in matching in matching these these right. two teams. Right. Up. So I'm I'm starting with the, the the things that the Thunder have, right? Um, and then I think you say Jalen Williams, J Dub over Jaden McDaniel's, right? Yes. Yep. Um, and that's just because he's a far more integral part of the Thunder's offense, and effectively so. In late games, he has a big impact on on both sides of the ball so you give that to the thunder but then you go gobert and conley versus dort and giddy and that's a massive advantage uh for for the wolves there and so i would say like in terms of personnel right like right the wolves have a greater pile of talent assets than than the the thunder do if you just compare the the starting lineups and then you think about the coaches I think they're they're both good coaches. We're both very high on on Dagnall. But I think you would say Oklahoma City has the coaching advantage in this because um the identity and the style with which Dagnall wants to play um ha, you know, he's just been there longer with more of the players. That's clearly seeped into, you know, the the identity of that Thunder team. Dagnall's it, vision elevated. for his Dagnall's vision for his team is being better realized than Finch's vision. Finch. Exactly, and that, that's what I'm and, and that's what I'm saying. And I think that is making up for whatever talent gap there is between the the two rosters there, which puts these two teams about with the the same record um, in in the Western Conference. And I and I think the the Finch part of that is like this team is still trying to realize what that is. I think the turnovers. Um, are a, a good example of that. Of like, they they can't drill home specific things consistently that mitigate their their problems. And I think the turnovers are a 
a great example of that. And I think about it again through the, the rebounding lens, comparing it to the rebounding issue they had two years ago. And it's, I was like, well, you know, the rebounding thing, that was just because like the Vanderbilt was their four or their five, basically. And right. of course that team was going to have and rebounding. And Cat was not playing his traditional center position. So he was mm-hmm. out away from the rim a little bit more. Yeah, it was just, it was it was kind of doomed there. And I don't feel like the turnovers thing is is doomed either. But I, I do think part of it is about roster makeup combined with the style of play with which they want to play. Like, Turnover issues, you or with the rebounding issues, you go size. With the or this was the symptoms of the rebounding issues. The symptoms of the turnover issues are bad decision making and spacing. And I think the question to like rectify that is: Are those symptoms, you know, curable? Can mm-hmm. they? Can this team be a team that develops better decision making? And the answer to that is like. Yeah, optimistically, you would you would think they can. You learn throughout the season, right. particularly Ant gets older, more mature. He's seeing different things like that can and should and likely will progress over the course of the season. The question to me, though, is how much can that progress over the course of the year so long as the spacing issues remain? Um, because the spacing issues aren't going to really change unless you make a real noticeable change to kind of your your roster makeup that is I mean teams are just loading up on the wolves every single game because they're not afraid of you know getting beat from the three-point line they don't respect enough the players there so I say that to mean like I think the spacing thing is an inherent issue with the the roster just like size was an, an issue for for that team that struggled with rebounding though I thought there was like no way to get the rebounding better for that other team. Maybe there are schematic ways in which to position this better. So as to not let teams load up on them, which forces them to play in a crowd and playing in a crowd is what leads to these guys making as, as, as many turnovers. Yeah. I, I think I, there's something there. What, what I would say to that, and that, that I think that's good analysis. What I would say to that is that, you had to give away that fault to get that benefit with the uh, fly around team. Mm-hmm. They basically did, they, they gambled yeah. on turning the other team over. And one of the ways they gambled was by getting out and challenging mm-hmm. players for turnovers rather than getting the defensive board via good defense. And they were a great turnover generation. They were great. They led the the league in points off turnovers. Shades of OKC this year. They were right up there with Toronto all year. And I think at the end Mm -hmm. of the year, they they had the best. They also, as as weird as it sounds, only three years ago, two years ago, whatever it was, they shot the most three-pointers of any team in the league. Yeah. So, but the, the point I want to return to is their flaw was a a flaw that they accepted as part of their virtue. Turnovers, there's no reason why the Wolves should be able to say, the only only remote thing you could say is that Ant is such a great creator and such a dynamic scorer that you have to allow his turnovers to get his fantastic playmaking. Uh, But even that's kind of specious because Ant is a low efficiency scorer 
um, that can boost his efficiency, I think, and really not affect his, uh, I mean, if he boosts his efficiency, obviously he's going to be better at doing what he does. And all that takes is a little bit more discipline. He correctly said last night in the locker room that his, especially in the, in the fourth quarter, because I just looked at all the turnovers, he was trying to quote unquote, make the right play on those turnovers uh, on his last three. But he was also driving into three people. What needs to happen, and I asked Ann about this. I mean, I'm sorry, I asked Nas about this. Quickness of decision-making is the way to avoid the turnovers. Mm -hmm. And that's why J-Mac and Nas together, they played together in the third quarter. The turnovers went down. Now, they have their own issues. I mean, J-Mac cannot score very easily. Uh, and hit that uh, step back three yesterday, though he hit a couple. <laughs> I mean, his first yeah. hit, his first hit was amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, but and, and and by the way, statistically, he just remains a freak of nature. So after a while, you just have to trust that the the results beat the eye test on J Max so many sure. so many times. But I digress. The point being, this team can keep what is good about itself and reduce what it's bad about itself. They're not as vice-virtue intertwined as the team two years ago was in terms of its vice-virtue. And, and I, I agree with that, just to, to be clear. I, just, I was just thinking about it as a comparison because, hmm. because just broadly, it's particular. I mean, when they were the 46-win team in the West two years ago, more middle of the pack. I don't know what does that make you like right, the right. 14th best team in the league. To be the 14th best team in the league, it's crazy to be that bad at such an impactful stat. So now to be as one of the top two, three, four teams in the league, to be – I mean, that, I mean, that doesn't happen that, that right. often. That right. team can be so egregiously bad at something and overall good. It's actually kind of an exciting thing, right, where you go – which we've been saying now for a month of, you know, you you correct this turnovers issue even to like league average, and it's you know it's scary for for the rest of the league because then if you have if you have three quarters last night like the third quarter and one quarter like the first quarter or fourth quarter, like you know, as it is a they win by 15, 18, you know, like it's yeah. not even it's well, and, and another way to put it, over a quarter of the Thunder's points came off turnovers. 28 of 105 points came off turnovers, which means that um, – I mean, I mean, think about this. Uh, it would be uh, it's like 77 points mm -hmm. was what the Thunder scored when they didn't have the benefit of a Wolves turnover. Yeah. And they shot less – I think – I know for the second half they were way under 40%. I don't know. Maybe an early first quarter was good. I don't remember what the final total was, but they were under 50% for shooting. Their shooting percentages were not high at all. The, the Thunder? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, overall, um, they were 24 for 57 from the field. I'm doing my math here. Yeah. Uh, correctly. From two and then eight of 24 from three, which is 33. 33%. So what? The, overall, that's like a yeah. effective field goal percentage of under 50. <laughs> right. Today's show is brought to you by Doer. That's D-U-E-R. And why I like to wear Doer is because when I'm choosing what to wear, the key is to be comfortable. That's why I'm loving my Doer jeans. Doer denim is the perfect mix of comfort, style, and stretch. 
Historically, I haven't been much of a denim guy, but I like these Dewar jeans because they aren't so stiff. I have the performance denim athletic straight style in the heritage rinse color. I've been wearing these to games. I brought them on the road trip I was just on because I figured I can wear them to the game. I can wear them out to dinner. Dewar also makes stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for both men and women. They're made from natural fibers for high stretch, breathability, moisture absorption, complete with temperature regulating antimicrobial properties to feel fresh, cool, and dry. From the performance denim to the no sweat jogger, I can find a pair that fits any occasion. Plus, Dewar values sustainability and uses 85% plant-based materials for natural softness and comfort. Upgrade your wardrobe and order your own pair of Dewar jeans today. Check out Dewar's flagship stores in LA or Denver or shop online at shopdoer.com slash Moore. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use my special URL, shopdue.com slash Moore. All one word, my name. This is an awesome deal. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoer.com slash Moore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, and that's why it was, you know, we'll get into this with the matchup. Like they didn't really have a problem with how they played offense or how they played defense uh, against the Thunder. It was whenever we'd ask a, a question about execution offensively or what they're doing defensively, it, it, every answer spun back to to turnovers, which was they're like, you know, we're, we're cool with everything else in this right, game, everything right. else um, in this matchup, which I'm not sure I actually totally 100 percent agree with. But broadly, uh, right. I, and I, I do want to I do want to reiterate you've got a guy who's been making 45% of his threes yeah. all season long and has been making like 42% of his threes ever since he came to town and has been making over 40% of his threes over the last 3 years. Yeah. He shot one of 9 from 3. And that, Mike Conley that we're talking about. Mike Conley and then the the shot that would have put the Wolves up in the final seconds was a front iron three from Mike Conley that was an open look. Mm -hmm. Despite everything, despite 28 turnovers, this, 28, points uh, turnovers. Uh, 28 points off turnovers and 21 turnovers, um, this team would have won the game if Mike Conley, well, I mean, you would assume a lot of the dynamics of the game would change, but their odds of winning this game would have gone up astronomically 
if Mike Conley hits a third of his threes. Mm -hmm. Or, or just that wide open one at the end, yeah. And if Mike Conley just hits that final one, exactly. Mm -hmm. So the, the sky is not falling. It is very obvious that, you know, we talk a lot about how the Wolves match up comparatively well with Denver by basically being able to guard Jokic in a manner that reduces Jokic's effectiveness. I don't think Denver is sweating bullets over the fact that the Wolves match up particularly well with them. They just think, all right, that's a tougher matchup. Yep. That is the way the Wolves ought to regard the Thunder. The Thunder have a really good matchup advantage in the fact that the Wolves are prone to turning the ball over. The Thunder are opportunistic. They are not a suffocating defense. They are an opportunistic defense. And what they're looking for isn't necessarily to beat you with pressure. It's to beat you with preparation and execution on both sides of the court. But when it comes to defense, the preparation is, okay, they like to lob in this circumstance. Rudy will roll and he will be getting the lob. The first time, second play of the game, Conley throws the ball and there are two guys on Conley and two guys waiting for the lob on Gobert. I mean, it was like, all right, they're running this play. We can tell by the film this is what they do, ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. And so and, and a similar situation in transition. If they get back in transition and just get in front of people, the wolves are prone to turn it over. And then the whole thing about screening, that's another way the wolves turn the ball over a lot. Gobert can be called. I mean, Gobert getting called for defensive Fouls is extremely rare and was rare last night. It is the screens that where Gobert is a turnover machine and then also his bad hands, of course. But the screens uh, are there too. So if you scout the Wolves and you have the OKC personnel, you say, this is what their tendencies are. This is what we will sell out to defeat those tendencies on. And Finch in the pregame was already mad having watched the first two OKC games and how badly they play into the hands of OKC. And last night, as you pointed out on Twitter, he was in a sour mood as we've seen him after a game, and it's because it happened again. This is the Wolves, if they do manage to get the Thunder in a postseason series, it's going to be fascinating the issue on the table is no secret. It's the opposite of a secret. It is the dominant theme of the series. Can the Wolves take care of the ball enough to allow their defense and superior talent to beat OKC? Well, and Britt, it's, it's about imposing their size against smaller teams, which they've broadly done against, you know, pretty much everyone other than the Thunder these these two times. That's been the one, quote-unquote, small ball, you know, team that's really presented them problems. The, the first Sacramento loss the day before uh, Thanksgiving uh, was was another one in a, in a similar vein there. And I, I think what we're getting to is you don't fear small ball in general necessarily against this Wolves team. Like if – whatever some team randomly pulls out pulls their center and 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 finds a five-man small ball rotation that isn't really their identity but they're right. like just go into it to try to impact rudy or cat or whatever you're like okay 
I feel pretty good about the Wolves' ability to punish that. But a team like Oklahoma City, who always plays this way, or a team like Sacramento that always plays that way, there's a little bit more I think the Wolves have to fight in terms of uh, imposing their size uh, in those matchups. I asked Rudy about that uh, after the game, and I thought he gave a pretty interesting answer. Here's Rudy. You, you talked about being a big team and a team that plays smaller and needing to punish that. These last two times against Oklahoma City, that hasn't been something you guys have been able to do. What in this matchup do you need to do to kind of impose that size a little bit more? I think, uh, I mean, they were doubling Cat every time he touched the ball. Um, so it's on, it's on him to keep making the right play, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I think we get a Maybe put him, put him in different positions too, when sometimes it doesn't need to be a post-up, it can be just a duck-in, where it's hard for them to double. So um, that's something we can think about for sure, for him or for me, you know, and usually it's these two fouls or, or baskets. And if they collapse uh, on a duck-in, like it's, it's more likely to be easy to find the, the open, you know, open guy in the corner. So there's a lot of things we can do, uh, but I, I think tonight we, even with all the things we're doing, we should have won the game. How did you feel about uh, matching up differently in this game? You were, after chatting the first two times, <coughs> you were out giddy. Did, I mean, it was a good defensive game. Yeah. I feel like that was the, the right play there. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought you know, I thought our game, game plan uh, was good. I thought, you know, our half court defense was good. Um, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, just the, the other little things, you know, the, the fast break and turnovers and, um, and then the, yeah, a couple of fouls that I think we can avoid. Uh, and the start of the game, you know, we can have a start like this against uh, in a big game like that against a good team like that. Brit, I, I'm just being in the locker room afterwards and talking to them and talking to a couple of players, even when we weren't interviewing them. I, you don't get the sense that they fear this no. this team, that the style of play, whatever. The the thing that we're all kind of like raising a uh, you know kind of orangish reddish flag about can they match up with that they don't believe it's an issue. And and what that's founded in is what he was kind of getting through there is like, you know, we, we feel like we do have good matchups for, for them defensively. Like we, we can make, we can make that work. We feel like we can impose ourselves offensively. It's just the, the, the small things and the turnovers. Do you feel like there should be any more sense of urgency surrounding these type of matchups or, you know, kind of, yeah, sense of urgency in that, maybe they do need to change some things so as to be able to beat these type of teams. Well, that's the rub. Yeah. The rub is really not that there aren't solutions available. What are the ramifications of those solutions? Um, If you really follow the rules and you know the whole dynamics of the team, Rudy loved that question because he was able to say, Put Cat out on the perimeter, for Christ's sake, <laughs> so that he can shoot the three. And if he needs to drive, have it be a duck-in. Do not have it be something where everybody is hanging around the paint. I'm around the paint. Cat's around the paint. Ant's trying to get into the paint. And everybody is just waiting there to turn you me over, turn mm-hmm. you over, turn Cat over. Um, if you space the floor intelligently, You'll reduce your turnovers. And he did throw in a very ass covering and me too, knowing that he's not going to be out on the perimeter because nobody cares if Rudy's out on the perimeter. 
that's just, you know, that's helpful to the opposing defense. But Cat and or Ant, but specifically Cat, he mentioned him by name and it's the accurate naming, needs to become more of a perimeter player if you're going to improve the spacing. Will the spacing automatically improve the turnovers? Logic says yes. Execution remains to be seen. Uh, I mean, you were technically, but yeah, like if the spacing got better, there's a direct corollary there. You certainly would think so. Well, I mean, but on the other hand, is it the situation where Cat would catch and shoot on those threes or would he up fake and drive into people? I, I find that Ant, Cat, and Jade McDaniels, three of the five starters, have a habit. It's a fucking habit of driving into people waiting for them. Guess what? Turnovers happen when that happens. I mean, it's just... It happened to all three of them during this game. Um, can, can, can I say something off the, 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 yeah. the cap point, or I'm going to forget it? Um, obviously, we, we talk about this all the time, the difficulty that this team faces or Carl individually faces when you put a small on him that dares a post-up opportunity, but then they bring a double uh, on the block and that you know negates that that weapon, right? At least as a, as a scoring weapon for them. And you know it's the it's the normal progression, right? He's got to pass out of that. It should be a hockey sister away from a, you know, an open three or whatever. But this team, whether it's Carl or the the shooters that they have out there or the, their willingness to shoot, um, they're not good at at doing that and and breaking the the cat doubles in the post, which, as Rudy said, uh, needs to eventually lead to Carl playing out of different positions on the floor. I will say they did that in in the game last night. That was. Carl did play in the corner, um, not a lot, but he made his fourth corner three of, of the season last night, which is a ridiculous number. But it ha- but I'm pointing out that it happened. Right. They ran two. It was it was two plays in a row. Carl was in the corner, he hits a corner three, plays out of the corner, and the next one they were scripted. It was sets. They were the, it was the exact same action. They did that multiple times. So there's a little bit of that trickling in. Volume of that has to go up. Maybe you waited too long to get him out of those post-up situations. They also did their Dallas action where they put Carl up at the nail as they did a lot. Um, you know, in, again, in that 21, 22 season, when Carl's getting um, doubled all the time in the post, you bring him up to the nail free throw line and it's really hard to, to double players there. That's why Embiid plays out of that position all the time on the floor. So they have things that they can go to with Cat specifically against these small ball teams once they start doubling him in the post. They don't go to them often. Um, And I think you could make the case that they don't go to them often uh, enough. But I I don't know enough about how much it needs to be play sets or how much it needs to be Carl just convincing himself of the logic that Rudy just just believing in himself that, yeah, I need to play in in different positions uh, myself. I think there's some natural human nature to this like I'm already the one who's sacrificing the most on this team. Why do I have to go beat PJ Tucker in the corner? I, I guess I get that from a fifty million dollar supermax player thinking it that way. But this team needs a sometimes needs a supercharged PJ Tucker uh, in the corner, and which uh, they just happen to have on the roster. It's a prototype. I mean, oh, Nas Reed is oh, yeah, a supercharged yeah. PJ Tucker. Get this, man. Uh, Nasrid has played 400 fewer minutes than Carl Anthony Towns this season, 
yet he has taken and making and made more threes than uh, than Carl has this year. I mean, do do teams close out to Carl harder? You know, play up on him more than Nas? Yeah, like when it's a kind of in an isolation situation. But that takes but there's care more of the spacing that you're yeah. talking about. Then, exactly. if they're out there on him, then that's good spacing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's got it's got a it's got a change for for Cat there, um, and it's just the unfortunate baggage or whatever of the roster that you you have in place. Um, if you had three lights out movement shooters around them, like, yeah, you would probably be able to make the doubling in the post offense playing out of the doubles in the post offense work a little bit better, but given this, the roster construction that they have and that they often play, you know, one, two, or sometimes three non shooters at a time, like the adjustment just has to be the shooter players need to space more. And Carl's the best shooter on the team. And I will say that Cat is vastly better than Nas at scoring when guarded. Mm -hmm. But Nas recognizes that and gets off the ball. So how many times does Nas whirl into a couple of players? When he's feeling it and he's on, he does a little more than he should. But for the most part, um, Nas is... One of the things that is very, very aggravating about this Wolves team, not just this year, but this year it's it's particularly aggravating because they're so good. And, and so consequently, blemishes are so potentially injurious to what's at stake here. Mm -hmm. When people are surveying the court either on the dribble or just having the ball. For Ann, it's mostly the dribbles. For Cat, it's mostly holding the ball by his shoulders and pirouetting his torso. Both of those looking things over very, very rarely result in good offense. Mm -hmm. And wonder why. Maybe because the defense has all the time in the world to also do its own surveying and figure out where the possible angles where they can be beat are. A defense that is not going to be ambushed in the NBA is going to be a really good defense. And you're not going to ambush a defense if you're hanging around the mid-range figuring out what to do. And so how much longer do they want to be somewhere between 17th and 20th in the NBA in offensive efficiency while they have the best defense yeah. in the NBA by a country mile. I mean, at what point in time, when do you want to win? When do you want to, you know? Well, I mean, uh, and I, I could just hear people listening to this in their minds like, what do you mean when do they want to win? They're 30 and 12. Yeah. And, and that's what makes this all of these topics so so difficult is it's like, you know, how much can we really bag on this when, you know, every three out of every four games, they're winning, right? Um, but You're winning until you aren't. And exactly. if you aren't winning, it's because you've neglected your flaws and other teams have figured out a way to beat you with those flaws. And and obviously that connects to the playoffs where you're like, 
Absolutely. Uh, where that's where the, the flaws become exposed. And I think, you know, we're watching this team and following this team every single day and you, you lean and you, you just see and feel the flaws so much more with a, a team you're hyper-focused on. I'm sure there are other teams around the league that, you know, I've probably even watched eight, 10 times play the season that I don't deeply understand the flaws of it that might be exposed, um, you know, in, in the playoffs that those exist for those teams too. The point is, is this is a flaw for the Minnesota Timberwolves and it will get exposed in the wrong matchup if they don't have a counter or a way in which to be able to, yeah, be able to, to play through it. Okay. And so consider it like a boxing match. You can walk out there and your opponent, if your opponent is decidedly inferior to you, some of the ways you expose yourself in the match, that opponent is not going to be able to hurt you or knock you out. Mm -hmm. They don't have the power. They don't have the speed, whatever it is. You have the advantage. But if you go out there against an opponent that is also really good and you go round after round, rather than knocking a guy out in the second or third round, you're suddenly in the seventh round and you've had six rounds of figuring out each other and how you do things and don't do things well, then suddenly the things that you haven't had to worry about in most of your other fights become very important because they're vulnerabilities in a close, tight fight against an opponent that is nearly or as good as you are. That's what you're thinking about as you're moving forward as a current number one seed who hasn't done jack shit in the playoffs. You're thinking about how do we keep this good vibe as the crucible of the playoffs becomes more real in terms of its possibility. And exposing. And and more exposed in terms of other teams just studying you. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are studying the Wolves now because they're studying the Wolves more than they're studying Golden State right now or the Lakers sure. right now because figuring out how to beat the Wolves. I mean, the, the way OKC has defended the lob the other night. Um, well, it's way that not just them, right? Like everybody's coming into tag. But that is valuable film. That is yeah. valuable film because OKC, you know, in fact, if if I were a scouts, I would go look at what Dagnall does to teams all the time. Yeah. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA, and he's particularly good at matchup coaching. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, – we hit on Nas a little bit. We got to give him a little bit more more time in this one. I uh, want to talk about Ant and, and how he was guarded in this game too. We'll grab another – Quick break here uh, to let you all know that today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company, um, and they want us to let you know uh, about, in addition to, to going and watching the Wolves games there, um, you, you, I mean, many of you have been there to watch a, a Wolves game where they have um, a projection screen and, and the sound on for, for all the Wolves games, but they're having a Super Bowl party uh, as well on February uh, 11th, I believe that's when the Super Bowl is, and they have a, like an all-inclusive ticket deal. For that, it's it's fifty dollars and it's unlimited food from uh, Rectangle Pizza. But it's not just pizza; they also are going to have wings and nachos and that sort of deal. Um, so you get the the food included in your fifty dollars and two 
uh, two pours of beer or beverages, any two beverages are included in that $50 as well, or one pitcher of uh, Tom's beer that they have there. So um, that is the Super Bowl. If you're looking for, for something to do, uh, put that on, on your radar. Uh, be, I guess, amongst Wolves fans <laughs> for, uh, for for the Super Bowl. Uh, on on February 11th, that's uh, that's fifty dollars again for that. And uh, if you want to get a ticket, go to at uh, fkbc uh, on Instagram and in their the link in their bio there they have uh, the the tickets to to purchase for that event. Uh, again, Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, let, let's talk about Nas a little bit more because that extends yeah. off of the the, the cap point. Um, there, we're, we're focusing on the offensive element of the cat versus Nas, uh, it, it, Nas's willingness to shoot threes in those situations, play a little bit more quicker, decisively. He's not getting doubled in, in the same way. That, that's one side of the floor. The other side of the floor, particularly in these type of matchups, uh, is the opponent is going to target Cat and Nas, as Shea Gilgis-Alexander uh, did in particular uh, last night, and this isn't even like totally on Cat because Cat's feet are what they are. They're right. big, and he's a center. And switching on to Shea Gilgis Alexander is a task that um, is just always going to be extremely difficult for him. It's difficult for Nas too, but what Nas has over Carl is quicker feet and and the foot speed to be able to take some of those switches or hold them. Uh, a little bit, a little bit longer than than Cat does, and uh, this is really becoming a theme of these matchups against teams like the Thunder and the Kings, uh, where that's they're getting exposed in when the team those teams are attacking Carl. They lose to the Kings, uh, the game that Carl played in, and they beat the the Kings in the the game that that Carl missed. Again, this isn't to say that. Carl's worse than Nas or anything, but it is an example uh, of which in which this team gets a little bit more exposed in the cap minutes versus the Nas minutes defensively uh, in particular. I mean, I just thought it was extremely noticeable uh, in the first half of that game. Nas had another one. I mean, and he was playing really well uh, in the first half and being really effective, but the, the number was the Wolves won Nas's 13 first half minutes by 20 points and they lost the 11 minutes he was on the bench in the first half by by 23 points um it's it's a tricky situation and it's a tricky situation for finch where you know carl is one of your star players and you are accommodating to him you know he provides a ceiling for you but you're wrestling against some of this matchup issue that that Carl has uh, against this type of team that Nas less so has um it seems like a problem or a collision or something but in many ways it's just like another move that that the Wolves do have I think the question is in a playoff series you know how much do you lean into that Nas move versus uh, versus the the cap move it's a it's just a really it's a really hard matchup for Carl Anthony Towns and there is a third option, too, that Finch occasionally goes to and should occasionally go to, which is if you're emphasizing defense because you have a lot of offense on the floor, you can put slow-mo out there as your four or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, his on-ball defense is better, you know, light years ahead of both Nas and Cat 
whether the guy is 6'11 or 6'4, you know. Yeah. Uh, but to your greater point, usually it's offense is what they need off the bench. Mm-hmm. And obviously Nas gives them that. Much I think in these matchups, much. though, you need well, defense a lot too. Well, but- what you do, I mean, it's a balance. And I guess what I'm saying is if you really needed just defense instead of offense, slow-mo is the pick. Yeah. If you want to balance you know, offensive firepower and not great, but not so bad defense, sure. then Nas is the option. I mean, again, we're talking kind of SGA-ish, mm-hmm. you know, players that there's always going to be somebody. And I asked Finch last night about the hunting of, you know, switches on the cat. And he acknowledged that it had happened all year and that, you know, you find ways to, you know, work around it. Uh, and it's something, you know, you and I talk about, a lot. In fact, the Wolves beat media in general. I'm probably the one who talks about the about it the least in terms of our conversations. Cats uh, defense is an open secret in terms of the fact that there are vulnerabilities there that um, I think that they have done a one, you know, they're the top rated defense in the NBA. And, and Carl's Kat, a big part of that. And when Cat is on the floor with Rudy, the defensive numbers are still really, really strong. Absolutely. And so we're not saying that this guy gets played off the floor on a regular basis, but there are times when if his rotation is coming, you know, around anyway, or if you want to just make that tweak, I mean, we can talk about roster, I mean, rotation tweaks uh, in general, one of the most obvious rotation tweaks, not as like he's the starter now and you're on the bench now, but figuring out a way in the general rotations to understand when Cat is vulnerable on matchups and on matchup switches, because, you know, that's important. Another one I would argue and did last night, uh, much to Finch's disgust, was that uh, Nah. I thought was a better matchup on SGA than Jane McDaniels. And I thought it was demonstrated last night. And I also think that Jaden runs hot and cold. And I think that when Jaden McDaniels is running cold, there's no reason to leave him out there. He was at a very good offensive uh, first half in the second half. He hit one, three, and then the rest of his, you know, line, his box score line was a foul and a turnover. Mm-hmm. You know, in like 15 minutes or whatever. Uh, that's not, you know, yes, he, he defends well. On that particular matchup, he did not defend as well as Nah. And Nah also puts pace in the game. And smart pace is what I see from both Nah and Nas, is that they get off the ball quickly. If they're on the ball, they're not surveying courts. They are on the move. They're looking to make a pass. It might be a simple pass. It might be a more proactive pass. But the point is, is that the rhythm of the game is in a flow rhythm. And when you have that, you're going to play better. I, uh, you took off. Carl was late to do his media or you know, took a shower or whatever. Yeah. Afterwards, you you weren't there. Um, So I'll 
kind of play this for you too, but it the Oklahoma City attacking him and and Nas in, in switches came up in the in post game with him. And I think it was an interesting answer from Carl actually kind of shifted my opinion a little bit because obviously he's gonna say it here, but Shea didn't have a good game all the way through. No. And and this answer made me think a little bit about how like a little bit of the recency bias of you know the, the fourth quarter and how they kind of are late in the game, how they really attacked it and got exposed there. But broadly, the Wolves did a pretty good job on, on Shea in this game. And I'm kind of, you know, trying to weigh that all out so as to figure out how big of a problem this is. Because every matchup's going to have some right, problems, right. right? Like, um, and you can take some problems if you can make some problems uh, on, on the other end. But this is the problem in the Oklahoma City matchup is their ability to attack the slower-footed Wolves players in space. And the two that they're going to go at most are the fours who have previously been fives in Nas Reed and Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, so here's here's Kat on that topic after the game. Got back. You guys have done a, a good job against teams that have gone small against you this season. These two last two games against Oklahoma City have kind of been yeah. the outlier, and they've kind of imposed a small size against you guys. Um, what what is what do you think is why do you think they struggle? I think you turned the ball over a lot, and you guys struggled to, you know, straight, know, wrong straight line drives. No, I mean like they were they were they were attacking you and Nas and switches. You know, they're smaller. Yeah, I mean, defensively, I think you know you just make it difficult and them take long twos. I mean, as you know, it's the worst shot in basketball. It takes the least percent, so uh, it's making it difficult on them. You gotta give them credit when they hit some tough shots. So they do. Uh, I think we did. It. We we had chances though. Me, Nas, I think we all did. Uh, we did a good job as best as we could. You know, against people like Shea and uh, guys like that who are doing mid-range pull-ups, making them miss, and we just gotta finish it out with rebounds. I mean, there was a time I, I looked up, I didn't realize Shea was like for for something so we were doing the job sure we're doing the job um you know high wall impacted him high contested at least made it difficult for him you know uh, i think that just one of the things that hurt us too was foul and just just find, they find ways to etch out some calls and uh the free throw line you know so stopping the clock hitting some points i think it hurt us a little bit i mean there's a lot to learn from this game um but, you know, so at the end of the day, we had a good chance to win. I think it was the one time I looked up, it was 88 to 81 or something like that. Yep. Uh, that's usually our call to put the game away. Just didn't happen tonight like that. The as best as we could part of that answer sticks out to me. And I think that's right. You know, it's like my head goes to focusing on this is this is the issue that, the, uh, like I was saying before, this is the issue that the Wolves have in in playing against Oklahoma City. But they have these advantages the other way, too. Like, the expectation can't be for Carl Anthony Towns to be able to effectively switch on Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Josh Giddy or whoever, you know, and be able to shut that off. There just needs to be, like, a – it needs to be decent enough. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, you win the rest of the game, right? Like, you're going right. to – this team is going to have some flaws. That is a flaw that they have. But just because it's a flaw – shouldn't indict them in this matchup overall. I thought Carl did a good job of, you know, explaining that. They, they should have still won this game, and we're not probably hyper-focusing on Shegel's Alexander, you know, exposing the Wolves' defense a little bit in the fourth quarter if they go on and take care of business on the other side of the floor, don't turn the ball over, Mike Conley makes some threes, whatever. Right. Um, so it's like, 
this isn't a fatal flaw. It right. isn't a fatal flaw, but it is a flaw to this matchup and one that needs to be uh, navigated on, on on that side of the floor because it will be a reality of the situation in the playoffs. Well, and let's get back to simple answers here. Shea Gil- Gilgis Alexander scored 33 points. The Thunder scored 105. So 33 points out of 105, almost a third of their points. Going in, Shea Gilgis Alexander had had two really good games against the Wolves. The point of the defense should be to limit him as best you can. Now, and they did. He was nine of 20 from two and one of two from three. Like, not a beacon and, and, of efficiency. And eight and nine from the line. Is that what it was? Um, I can put that. I, I guess I can just look it up. 12 of 13 from the line. Got to the line okay. at time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's pretty efficient. You know, 33 sure. points out 20 shots. Yeah, and, and I guess he, he said that. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I just, like, I guess in the non-foul situations, which there was a lot of them, Yeah. Um, which obviously following is another Achilles heel of this team, similar to the to the turnovers. But Shea was not, like, getting to his spots and dominating the whole game. I, I think that's the – he was he in the pockets the of The two best people to guard SGA are – Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyle Anderson, in my opinion. And Ant did a pretty good job on him. Ant actually guarded him as much as anybody, at least according to the quote-unquote matchups thing, which is sometimes specious on the NBA advanced box score. But Jade McDaniels and Shea is not as strong a matchup for the Wolves as you might imagine. If you look at the way... Jaden guards people and the way Shea plays, you would think that that's a pretty good matchup for the Wolves. But Shea gets fouls on him. Shea runs stop and go. And Shea is, is, I think Shea's size continually surprises people. I mean, he's 6'6", and he's a legit 6'6". And Nikhil Alexander-Walker's his cousin. He grew up guarding him. He shut him down in the playing game last year. Shea has obviously grown since then, but NGA, I mean, SGA versus Nah last night in the third quarter was again fun to watch because SGA got on him. And the times when, you know, he switched on Kyle or Kyle had the matchup, Kyle is really good. He might be the best on ball defender on the team. And Ann is really good. I just think that. There I, are I, I think you're frustrated with Jaden McDaniels, and that's that's a fair, broader topic to be. But Jaden McDaniels like wasn't the primary defender of Shea Gilgis Alexander in this game. Like, no, they kept he their, wasn't. Anthony had like they put Jaden McDaniels on Chet. That was the whole defensive game plan shift that the Wolves had. They put they took Gobert off of Chet. They put him on Giddy so he could play off the shooter and lurk in there, and it led to guard. You know. Ant then was the one guarding Shea at the at the beginning of the game, you know. And then it's not that Jaden never guarded him, but as soon as substitutions happened, Jaden got in some foul trouble. And the keels in there, Kyle's right. on him sometimes. Different players are on him there. The NBA I, data shed said that Jaden guarded Shea, you know, second most. I think actually Gobert is in there too because of the fact that SGA gets in the paint and then theoretically is quote unquote. That's why those numbers are always kind of fishy. And I agree 
granted your point, but I think that in crunch time, if you had Nog guarding SGA, you had a better chance of winning that game than if you ran what you ran. Yeah, I, sure. I, I, I think, again, I think part of that is your broader frustration with Jade McDaniels in this season. I mean, I agree. I agree. And when I asked Fitch straight out in the pregame, post-game. you know, post game, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whether he thought about bringing Nah in for the final five minutes, he, he couldn't believe I asked the question. He said, Nah. He said, and then, uh, no, I, no, I, I wasn't going to play the clip, <laughs> but I have I'm it. I'm forcing I, you I, to do it. I have it. I'll play. Here we go. I'll play. <laughs> Was Nah. On SGA, one of the things you were thinking about, you know, during that last five minutes or eight minutes in terms of getting people back in? No. In the last five minutes? Yeah. yeah. Putting Nikhil back in? Yeah. No. (laughs) That would be no. I haven't seen him, like, be that definitive, you know. That was like you you chose the answer, you know, like (laughs) – But I, I mean, I'm holding to it, man. I mean, I just think that. Here's the case I would make. Okay. Um, who's Jaden struggled against most this season? De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Maxey. And then I think you could put Shea Gilgis Alexander in that phylum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the super fast, quick guards who like Jaden's little gliding with them, praying mantis thing. It uh, doesn't work as much because they're able to get a step on him, you know? Um, so. I, I think you. I think you have an argument there, and maybe Nikhil, in terms of he bodies uh, him earlier. Yeah, and just ability to maybe stay with him. Right. Uh, maybe because he's more similar size to Shea, whatever. Uh, like it, it doesn't deserve to be as outright dismissed as 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 Finch did there. You know, that's frustration of the the moment of of that there, and he's like, "What the hell? You want me to play my eighth man to to close the game here?" But I. I think if we could remove it from last right, night and right, make right, a right. greater conversation about where are the well, best matchups for Jaden. I think they're still sort of figuring that out. You came into the season based off of the last two seasons where you're like, Jaden's the point of attack guy, you know, and it doesn't matter who it is. The point guard, the guy who initiates offense most nine and a half times out of 10, Jaden's guarding him. We right. are starting to see some adjustments off of that last night being a, an example of that. They put, when Jaden was on the floor and Chet Holmgren was on the floor, Jaden guarded Chet Holmgren, so Rudy didn't have to. Which is so what this, I suggested before the game, and you incredibly did, you enough, did. It, it it actually panned out. Yeah, um, and 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 I think we should say, that, and I kind of trust Rudy on that. I think he answers that stuff honestly. Like, I, I think they felt good about the way in which they they did match up with them when it was you know, the main guys against the the main guys in a regular season game, you know, there's a lot right. more scramble and changing and stuff like that. Uh, but, and, and it was a nine Oh or 16, five choose your run. In right, the first quarter. The game. I mean, it did not, part of it was just lack of readiness. Well, Finch, what Finch said was, he goes, I don't think we were had adjusted to how we were matching up. He, he was like, we're, we're, we were confused at the beginning of the game getting, or he said something like getting used to how we were matching up, which was, 
which was very different than the the way I mean they had Gobert on Chet in the the previous matchups, the two matchups against them. Right. So I think they were kind of like fighting some of that or yeah, settling that's in. That's kind of a cell phone, you know. I mean, yeah, sure. it's your it's your matchup switch, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, but, I, it, but it's both because it. I know it was it, the it, right move. It didn't move. work, but it might be the right move. It's it a weird was thing. Was the right, right move? Right. You're right. I mean, uh, look, I don't you know I don't pretend to know as much as Chris Finch, and I think he's the best coach by a country mile that the Wolves have ever had. But I all, and I know the dynamics. I know that the guy you just gave a fat contract to, who um, is already kind of being a, having to be a fifth option on offense um, and needs to be bucked up during these foul times, you know, when he fouls, Finch has been harping on that and, you know, helping Jade work through that. Um, there's all kinds of reasons not to plant seeds of doubt in Jaden McDaniel's mind. But again, you know what? So I get all the reasons. And I also get the dismissive tone of it. In addition to the fact he just was pissed because his team just pumps it away a a win against a quality opponent. Uh, But Nah has a history of being able to tie up this guy better than anybody on the roster. It was crunch time. In fact, the Wolves had a little cushion for a while. And being able to just close the game out by utilizing that matchup, um, it, it it made it more complicated when Nog got off the floor. But Well, I, I think this is, a, this is an interesting topic in general, um, closing lineups with uh-huh. this team. And Finch goes back to the starters to close just about every single game. Um, I don't even know if this metric exists or whatever, but like frequency with which he closes the game with his starters has to be as high as any, you know, any team in the league. Certainly if games are within eight points or something. Mm -hmm. And, and in this, this matchup again, against a weird team that's small and fast, uh, there's an argument to be made that that was something that you could be like, yeah, this one night we aren't closing with Conley Edwards, McDaniels, Towns, Gobert. Um, you could uh, all of whom were minus. Could... All of whom were minus, by the way. Yeah, and and... all of the bench big pluses. Mm-hmm. And Finch did say in his post game yeah. comments early in that you know just that setting the table uh, mm-hmm. that I thought about you know going back to them um, or you know yeah that's thought, what thought about being able to. Well, I mean, yeah. I was probably going to ask it anyway, but uh, you were because you were talking about it the whole game. <laughs> Well, at least the whole fourth quarter. Well, it, it's just it it's it's interesting, right? Because you can make you can make an argument that Nas should have started or closed over Cat, and you can make an argument that Nikhil does a better job on Shea than maybe anybody else would have been able to do then. But Finch, clearly, again, in all seriousness, from your answer, is like I'm not even fucking thinking about that. You Absolutely, know? and he's also saying, "Hey, you know, we're thirty and eleven coming yeah. into this game sure. because." Our status quo is pretty damn good. And I'm with that. I'm with yeah. that. I just think about, again, the playoffs, right? Right, and right. Is, do you employ that strategy in the playoffs, just the trust at falling back on the starters and believing that's your best five men lineup no matter what? Do you do that? And maybe the answer to that is yes. But if the answer is possibly no, that maybe in some playoff matchups you need to not close – with one of those five starters or two of those five starters or whatever, or it's advantageous to not to, 
then I think there would be value during the season in, you know, kind of setting some of that precedent so that it's not like in all seriousness, the, the, the D'Lo situation Absolutely. in the Memphis series. That's you know what I'm exactly saying? Like, my mind went, you know, like what if the, you know, if you're, it wouldn't be the, whatever. So let's say it's the first round of their play. It's like the two seven series or something. They're playing the Kings. I don't know, whatever. That's, that's right. what it is. And you like, kind of come into the series or you go through the game and you're like, uh oh, like it seems like maybe Nas should be on here. Someone else should be on the floor there. Do you still not go to that when the evidence of that game suggests you maybe should? Because and, somebody's going to get mad about having been benched and all that sort of stuff. Maybe not put mad, it in your fabric. You know. Then it's then it's a then it, it becomes part of the plan. And maybe it's Rudy sometimes. And maybe maybe if it's and, Ant is, has eight turnovers, maybe it's Ant sometimes. And I think that your statement about needing to set precedence, yeah. needing to say every now and then this has to happen. But if you noticed, we did this cat and then we went back to you the next three games or whatever. Yeah. And so it, it, it's the yanking, the stakes are up and all of a sudden uh, uh, an established season long pattern is disrupted that's like, okay, when the rubber meets the road, I don't trust you. Rather than in this particular circumstance, there is a better option. Those two things are very, very different messages that a coach can send. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, if Cat gets a I don't trust you option in the playoffs, an already shaky mm -hmm. situation becomes almost predictably catastrophic. I mean, if Cat doesn't feel like he's getting the support of his coach. Um, yeah, no, that's, a, that's I, know, I know what he's going to do. He's going to try to prove the coach wrong right away out there, and he's going to play out of control, and he's going to ratify. Which all makes the a strong reasons. devil's advocate argument in Finch's favor of, of playing it over and over again. You know, like. Or I think it makes a better argument for what you said, which is get the precedent happening. Mm hmm. So the cat has a chance to absorb every now and then we have to do this to you. You know, uh, Rudy faces it, you know, uh, Conley faces it because of age. But I mean, there are things that you have to deal with. The yeah. rotation happens a certain way because of the certain things that happen. And there is room for improvement and there's room for improvement. And then the, the inevitable comeback is if you can prove to be able to do X, why will happen less? Mm -hmm. Like with Ant, I would say, if you don't turn the ball over as much, then, you know, we can rely on, you know, we'll call your number or we'll have that, you know, mm -hmm. you'll be the ISO guy more and more. Of course, I think Ann is beyond the realm of corrections mm -hmm. or not corrections. He'll do what he wants uh, because he is that guy now. But it, when, it's just, it's a, like, I, I think – some other coaches who have different styles would situationally not close with game-to-game right. game with McDaniels or Towns or Gobert. Right. Ant and Conley are probably the two, 100% of the time, you're going to have them on the floor to close a game regardless of the opponent. Yep. Um, you I could find that. situations or just based on mentally how McDaniels and Towns are playing or how effective Gobert is. And foul trouble. Um, yeah, you know, like there's it, it, it's it's interesting to me that they haven't done it. But what what is Finch said from 
the opening press conference of the Gobert once they got Gobert was that we are not going to be it. We're going to need to learn to play through this and we need to be able to not have our players played off the floor. We need we to impose. Will dictate. Yeah, yes, dictate. I fumbled that, but yes. No, that, no, no. I yeah. impose is the same thing. But you that is the goal. And it's a goal that goes, let's face it, beyond X's and O's. It goes to the front office's capability. It yeah. goes to the whole philosophy yeah. of this so far glorious season. Right. Yeah. Something excellent can have like a little small thing that is can be problematic or potentially fatal in the wrong matchup. And, and that yeah. is the Oklahoma key. City. And that is Oklahoma City. No, no. City. But I, mean, I mean, in many ways it is. The stakes are problematical versus fatal. Yeah. And that's what you have to figure out. Because if it's fatal, guess what? You know, mm-hmm. some big, big detonations happen out of that. If you yeah. lose in the first round, goodbye system. Mm-hmm. You know, that the owners are not going to go hundreds of millions of dollars into the luxury tax for a first round exit. You know? Mm-hmm. No, it's uh so it's a it's a tightrope and and what Finch is not unreasonably gambling on is that they'll have enough reps to fix these flaws yep. enough to have the strengths mm-hmm. overcome. And that you know, like any other team, let's I mean if you look back, you know. The Warriors won a couple of rings based on opponents and injuries. I mean, they had some luck. Most teams have luck. Uh, Most teams also turn the ball over like crazy. Yeah, there you go. That you know, I mean, that's it's it's part of the style too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting and it's it's a weird thing to be you know for us to be in, in ways to be hyper focusing on some of this stuff when the team is thirty and twelve. But oh, we're we are applying this lens to the Oklahoma City matchup. Um, and and let's say that the Wolves right now are having a fabulous season. They're 30 and 12. The Nuggets just beat Boston in Boston. The Thunder just beat this team for the second time in three games. Mm-hmm. The Clippers lost to this team, but the Clippers are legit. This is a division and a conference. The last two times that the Wolves played the Pelicans with Zion, they got what whooped. There are almost a handful of teams, but certainly three or four, that are going to give this team all it can handle somewhere in the playoffs. And so... And that's not a bad thing. That's no, just no, fun. It, that's it, what it fact, is. It's going to be, yeah. It's yeah. Gonna, I mean, that's what the greatest thing about playoff competition is. But that is why you don't coast on the, yes. the, the knowledge of 30 and 11 and now 30 and 12 or whatever. You realize if this team loses four out of six, which they haven't done all season and everyone else has done, then they're in third or fourth place. And they're looking at hosting a fifth place team and then going on the road against a better team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the margins here, yes, it's been like five or six weeks, seven weeks in first place. Yeah. And it's been admirable. They went through the roughest part of their schedule. All of that, I get it. And 
I think, you know, I, I printed out some tweets the other day about just being pissed off at the way the Wolves are being regarded. You know, you don't get to be the best team in the NBA in terms of defense by seven points over the average and two points over any other team and have that be flukish. Yeah. Those are things you take to the bank. Again, though, margin of error and luck of the draw, it isn't inconceivable that this team finds itself in a more precarious position when it matters mm -hmm. in April than what it's in now. I think also, and this is just like broadly, um, there's a these things with the wolves in particular come they're a little loaded you know because the fear of any of these exposures potentially happening are scary because if it indicts the overall way that this roster is put together enough to rule them out of the playoffs that's concerning moving forward given where they are at from a roster and salary cap position where they don't have a lot of fungibility to shift up the the roster in the future. It might actually get worse. It will get worse if they yeah. stand pat because it they can... have to sign these players. So I, I just say that to mean, and like, I think even probably subconsciously I do that, or I think maybe we, those of us who cover the team have like honed in on some more of these specific things that are issues because it's like, well, they have to solve those to be able to make this work because the window here is not large. Um, right. And and so it maybe it, it leads to a little bit more anxiety uh, or fear around it. But there's nothing to say that this team can't do it. You know, right. I'm, I'm not at the point of saying, right. like, they're screwed because Carl's their four and teams are going to, um, you know, teams are going to attack that. It's a bad matchup. It doesn't mean it's a matchup they could lose. The Wolves are a bad matchup for the Denver Nuggets. And I think anybody who's watched a lot of those matchups would say that. But right. that doesn't mean if the Wolves play the Nuggets in, you know, in the playoffs that they're going to be favored or certainly not heavily favored right. in that. Like a team can be a match a, a matchup problem for you. It doesn't need to be a matchup breaking for you. Right. And that's what the Wolves at the halfway point in the season are still doing is what are these areas in which we get exposed and how do we get better at them? And the, the good news is they're coming into focus. This Now you have tape of two games against Oklahoma City of one specific issue that you have. You can circle that. You can hone in on that. And you can improve on that. And then obviously the turnover issues we started with, like, you know, that is a key foundational issue to this team right now. Can you change that? Can What are the what are the elements of that you can make that better? And you have half of a season to be able to, to continue to improve on that. So even when you play Oklahoma City or Sacramento or whatever in the first round, you're like, yeah, I don't know if that's a good matchup for the Wolves. It doesn't need to be a death knell. And quite frankly, I have more respect for my readers and our listeners. Anybody who thinks I'm down on this year's Wolves are really pretty stupid. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, I've seen every Wolves team that's played. This is right now the best Wolves team I've ever seen. Damn. It is. I mean, statistically and what they've done, the 0304 team obviously was fantastic, but they didn't have this level of defensive dominance. And they had, you know, a lot of great stories. 
but they also had a history of being a playoff team four, five, six years in a row. Yeah. You know, they had morphed into something. This team has has risen. This is the third playoff team in a row, but one of them was, you know, yeah. forget, forget. Very you know, different iterations. Yeah. Very different. And it's a very different game than it used to be. But my point is they beat, you know, Denver and the Celtics in the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, that and counts they, too. <laughs> and they have they beat the Clippers as recently as a week ago today. Yeah. So when I talk about you know we're on here talking about a game that was a very winnable game that Mike Conley missed eight of nine three pointers on, and all that was also stated. Mm-hmm. But if you want to just say all right, well the Wolves turned the ball over a lot and Conley missed shots, that's the very easy way to explain this loss. Mm-hmm. That's true. And if that's all you wanted to hear, we could have made a seven-minute podcast and gone home. (laughs) But if you want to talk about how this reveals itself for the Wolves in depth, if you want to talk about a very good basketball team in depth, Mm -hmm. then that's what we do. And if you regard that as negativity, well, you know, not much I can tell you about that. I've been talking about this team for 30 years. If you don't know the way I talk about it by now, you know, good night. Yeah, and they haven't played Denver very much. They haven't, like, we all also talked about, like, the teams in which they match up well with and how that presents, you know, issues for, for those teams as well. We will continue to do that. And there, some of them are just, like, so obvious. We're not even, we're, like, we're not going to spend five minutes right now being, like, this is all the ways in which the Wolves can impose themselves against the Charlotte Hornets on Monday. Like, they're just way better. You know, that that's right. The list is too long, <laughs> you right. know, and, exactly. and, and becomes, I guess, personally, I just don't find that as interesting when it's kind of like a presumed fact that they can dominate the Hornets in X, Y, and Z ways. That and how many times are they going to see to them? Me. How many times yeah, yeah, are yeah. they going to see the shadow Hornets? Kind, kind of irrelevant. Yeah, that, yeah. That's why, that's why it's, I mean, I guess fun in, in, a, in a great this. world, in a great world, a second or conference fi- second round or a conference finals matchup mm-hmm. are these two teams. I love OKC. Anybody who reads me knows OKC yeah. is one A, my second favorite team to watch. Right now, right alongside the Wolves. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think that um, they're they're incredibly well coached and they know what they do best and they do it to the letter. They have a charismatic superstar. Um, and if they play the Minnesota Timberwolves and they have each survived at least one series and perhaps two, man, that's going to be fantastic. Oh, oh can't, can't wait. I, I, I just, we love the chess match of this stuff Absolutely. And, and, and digging into the, I, I, or I do, you know, and, and, and thinking about these things and the way in which you can adjust and turn a problem into a problem on the other side for, for the other team. It's, you know, it's, it is fascinating. So I look, I think they play the thunder again in like 10 days or something like that. Um, I'm looking forward, you know, I'm looking forward to, to doing that again. One thing I forgot to, and we'll wrap up here, but one thing I forgot to mention just before maybe people turn this off is we do have two tickets to give away uh, to that Hornets game that we so <laughs> gracefully, uh, promoted a minute ago there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we've been giving out tickets all year, uh, to thank those of you who are, uh, Patreon subscribers and, um, it's, it's five bucks a month to, to support us on, on Patreon, maybe if you can't uh, support the other uh, sponsors that we have, 
And uh, yeah, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you just send us a message on there letting us know uh, you're available to go to the Hornets game. Then we randomly uh, will select uh, somebody for, for two tickets for that. So that's patreon.com slash MBA. I'll make sure to tweet that out because I forgot to put that uh, before the 80 minute mark uh, of this <laughs> of this podcast. Uh, Britt, I, I think we hit it all um, from from this Thunder game. Hornets coming up. And another sort of lull in the schedule, Hornets, Wizards, Nets. Um, time to make it. Time to make it. You know, and like not every one of these games, you know, for the rest of the season are going to be a game like this where you really even can think right. about, you know, playoff matchups and that sort of thing. You know, you're looking against the Hornets and the Wizards and the Nets this week of like, you know, can you uh, can you improve the turnover stuff? You know, right. can we those teams are going to double cat in the post, too. Can, can and and the realm of probability, yeah. the Wolves lost two games to sub-500 teams, teams that are now sub-500, yep. in the first three games of the season. It has not happened since then. Yep. So I would imagine, I'm not calling it, but I would imagine sometime in the next handful of games against Patsies, they're going to drop one. And the, the world is not going to end. The roof is yep. not going to cave in. Um but I do suspect they'll win the vast majority of them, and I do suspect that they are. And that's all that is expected is winning the vast majority. And they are in it to win it right to the spring when you know home court advantage. That's what I was going to say, man. Yeah, it's there's a real value what, in the one, you know, and that's what you want. So because again, if you're playing Oklahoma City in the Western Conference Finals, it sure be nice to have four of those seven games at Target Center, you know, or Denver, or whoever, you know, whoever right. it might be. Absolutely. So all these games matter, but I am. They played, according to Basketball Reference, as of last week, the toughest schedule in the NBA, and I believe it's seventeen of eighteen games uh-huh. were against five hundred sure. teams. They went eleven and seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think they're going to be in it right to the end, and then you know the 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 where the cynics have gone next, and not incorrectly, is can they duplicate this in the playoffs? They do not have a great playoff history. Gobert does not have a great playoff history. Cat and Ant thus far, despite Ant's heroics, have not won a playoff series. Uh, these things matter. And so uh, until that particular albatross is, is dumped, then uh, again, you know, I mean, Twins fans and Vikings fans recognize this and the Wolves have some of this as well. But in the meantime, the regular season couldn't be better. No, it's been it's been a blast, and it's and it, it's fun to dig into what's working so well, and it's fun to dig into like what what can adjust. I I, I like doing this, um, and it doesn't mean you know we don't believe in in this team. It's just a funky team. The Wolves are a funky team, and uh, it, and so are some other teams, funky in a completely different way. I love that about basketball, where you can have like a collision of of two different styles. Of- yeah, when you can have a Carl Anthony Towns. Mike Conley and Anthony Edwards in your starting lineup, and you're a twentieth in defense in offense in the NBA. I mean, you know what the hell? Or I would have said, you know, a year, a couple of years ago, right. you could have Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns in your lineup and be number one on defense. It goes both ways, you know. Exactly. Like, exactly. And, and that's why this is fun to cover day to day. Well, he's Rick Robson. Um, you're following him on on Twitter at Rick Robson. Uh, Jason and I will be back to to talk about the the Hornets matchup on Tuesday morning. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out.
How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.